Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What these young bloods have to understand that this game has always been and will always be about buckets. Just attack the basket. Buckets brought to you by BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. My name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network. This is your How to Bet the Defensive Player of the Year award. Today we'll go over all the rules that you need to know. We got two different segments here. We're going to go over kind of my thoughts on it along with AC, the analytics capper, Albert Wynn. He's going to join me. We're going to break down what the board looks like, the history of this award, when to bet it, the patterns of how this award is uh, award is kind of decided, and it's a delicate, sensitive one, I think. Um, and then later on, Brandon Anderson's going to come on. He's going to give you his rules and who he's bet with two very non-Brandon plays, i got to say, for Defensive <laughs> Player of the Year. But we'll start with Albert Wynn, the analytics cap, who I haven't talked to in a minute. Albert, how's your summer been? Summer's been good, man. Even though uh, there's been no NBA basketball, we were blessed to have FIBA, you know, mm-hmm. World Cup. So that was fun to to talk about. Um, but I'm excited for the new season, and uh, I'm refreshed, man. I'm I'm getting ready for the season. Yeah, uh, my my wife's birthday was last week, and her birthday gift was subsidized by the German national team. So Viva la Deutschland! Thank you for that <laughs> 42 to one hit on the World Cup. Uh, but we're here to talk about defensive player of the year. We're going to talk about some of the kind of patterns. Brandon's going to give you his rules. I want to go over some of the data that I found when I look back at the history of this award. So for starters, I want to talk about age. Um, awards, it, it, one thing I think is interesting with DPOY is that you can be a little older and win this award. Uh, we Brandon and I have talked about, a lot about this. We'll talk about it more on next week's MVP episode. Guys that get past 30 don't really win MVP. There's only been... Uh, there's been three since I think 98 that have won it over the age of uh, 29. DPOY, however, uh, the oldest that has won it in the last 20 years is 32. That was Marcus Camby. Now, that was an outlier, and I will say that this has moved younger. So in the early 2000s, we had Ben Wallace at 30 and 31, Marcus Camby at 32, and then KG at 31. However, since Tyson Chandler in 29, we haven't had anybody over the age of 28, and it has gradually shifted younger and younger. Marcus Smart was 27, uh, but Jaron Jackson Jr. was 23. Kawhi Leonard in 2015 was 23, and then 24 the following year. Rudy was 25 and 26 in his back-to-back seasons uh, in 2018 and 19. 
So it's skewed a little bit younger. The average age since 2003 is 27 years old. Uh, the youngest is 23. The oldest is 32. So you can win this a little bit older. A lot of what I look for is like, are there reasons why you should think the guys are outside? Like, what are the, the boundaries that we've kind of seen where, no, 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 they don't, they don't get there. One of, I think, when we talk about this award, I was really curious about this award last year. So I reached out to a bunch of voters and I asked them, hey, when you're looking at DP, I was like, I'm not trying to get who you're voting for. I want to know the process. When you're looking at DPOY, what's the first thing that you look for? And all of them, except one, I've asked 12 people and 11 of them told me, they said, the first thing I look at is how good their team defense is. So effectively, you need to have an elite defense. And we've seen this consistently especially in the advanced analytics era where um, it's no longer really okay for you to have bad defenses. The average defensive spot over the last 20 years, the average ranking was 2.9, and that includes Marcus Camby's 12th. Here's the last five in terms of team defensive ranking. Second, first, third, first, first. So you had better be part of an absolutely elite defense because that is what the voters actively look at um and then finally before i, I kind of get wh where you start with this award i was really curious about some of the advanced analytics and i was talking about epm for mvp it's my it's really a guide post because it has correlated so strongly with mvp finish i looked at the on dunksandthrees.com which i'm going to talk about all season if you're new to the podcast they have epm but they also have it split by offensive and defensive estimated plus minus and in dpm the average finish for the last, since 2014, has been 3.9. You are going to need to be one of, the highest is 5.6. You're going to need to be top six in this category. It's better if you're top three. And then, additionally, I looked at percentile of where you finished the year prior. This was really fascinating. So this goes back to, again, 2014 by this metric. Here's the, the, the percentiles, 97th, 90th for Marcus Smart, which is an outlier, 99th, 95th, 99th, 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 98th. So we have this pattern of you had you need to have been great defensively the year before, and you need to be great defensively this year, and your team's defense needs to be awesome. I don't even think it's necessarily about the wins, although like, I think it's going to be hard for you to be very good defensively. Like I, let me put it this way. If you're not very good, even if you're really good defensively, you should be winning games. If you're not winning games, it's hard for me to believe that you're um, not any good defensively and be in consideration for this award. When you look at DPOY, Albert, what's like the first thing that you want to kind of target? What are the things that you look at? How do you approach betting this award? No, it's great that you brought up age, Matt. And, you know, team defense is a big thing as well. Uh, for me, it's it's mainly a big man award for the most part. I know Marcus Smart has won, Kawhi has won, um, but generally speaking, right, the Rudy Gobert's of the world, um, Dwight Howard, Ben Wallace, I think most of them are big men, and I think a lot of it is because people underrate defensive re rebounding stats. Um, I think rebounding is a really big integral part when we're talking about defense as a whole, whether it's individual or team defense. So those are things I'm looking at. Uh, the parameters that you set, Matt, in terms of like the age and the team defense, have me zeroed in on two guys. So I'm excited to to talk in 
you know, dive into the odds going into this season. So I want to talk a little bit more about um, how to time this. Uh, Jaron, I think last year is not a good model. And the reason is because he missed that early part of the season. And Lakers fans are, are very fond of letting you know that he played fewer minutes than Anthony Davis last season. <laughs> Jaron, the Grizzlies were like, I think, 15th in defense. Jaron shows up and they immediately become number one. Like, yeah. I mean, they just skyrocket. And they were one for a long time. And I think they fell to, to second. Um, so there was a very easy, on top of the block rate, which you're going to hear about later, there was a very easy narrative to be shifted. And like, I was like, I, I, not just a narrative because kind of a tangent. I don't like it when people use narrative because it's often used to kind of suggest the idea that it's a lie narrative is story. Mm-hmm. And sometimes stories are true and sometimes they're not right. You can buy into a story without actually seeing to see if that was true. And that's one of the things that I really try hard to fight against, but this was like a, a really, a, a very real narrative to me where, Jaron, the Grizzlies defense was mid. Jaron shows up. It's elite. Pretty easy to kind of like look at it, especially when the plus minus reflected the same kind of thing there. That said, the big man thing I think is interesting. And you're going to hear more on on that from, from Brandon. But I will say I am a little less convinced that this is a big man only award. I understand like what we've seen here. Like I, I get the the conversation about it. Jaron was a big man. Rudy was a big man and won it three times. Giannis is a big, right? He's he plays on the wing, but he's but he's a big. Um, Draymond, I don't necessarily think of as like from a big perspective. His entire thing was switchability, was like his ability to to really morph a game because of how many guys he can guard. Um, Kawhi Leonard was not a big; he was a wing. So Kawhi won it twice. And then we're back into 2014, and that's like really outside the context of, of what I consider the modern era, which started 1450 with the Warriors and um, a three-point volume skyrocketing because of the Rockets and so forth. I do kind of wonder if DPOY may not be as much of a, a – like I am open to betting non-bigs. I think guards are tough to, 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 to bet, but I'm open to betting non-bigs as we go forward. But the timing of this, I think, is interesting. Um, you and I were, were doing the Monday shows, and I think after the first week of Jaron, we were already like, hey, yeah. you should probably start betting this. And then after two weeks, we were like, yeah, we should absolutely start betting this. And then three weeks, we're like, you need to get it because the number is going to be gone. And we got good numbers on it, and I continued to put that in parlays for the next two months, and then you know it got to be minus 1,000. Anyway. Um, and then it peeled back because there was so much. Last year was really interesting. I want to get your thoughts on this about – Brooke Lopez was a favorite in like March. And so it was, it was baffling to me that to me, it was very clear. Jaron was going to win this thing by December. And yet Brooks state. And it, it made me sweat the, the, the remainder of the season because I just, I never bet Brooke. I always thought Jaron was going to win it because of the block rate, the defensive stats, et cetera. Um, I'm curious as to why you think the market continued to, to price this wrong so much last season. Yeah. Yeah, a couple of reactions. You're right. It's 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 not a big man, but to me, the reputation is kind of like the big man award. But you're right. As the as the game continues to evolve and be more perimeter oriented, I agree. We should look at, we should look at guys like OG and Michael Bridges and those guys who can guard the perimeter, but also can switch and and do some of the post defense as well. But in terms of the the Jaron Jackson Brook Lopez 
uh, story from last year. I think it was from an eye test. It was a combination of Jaron Jackson came in and completely, um, Matt mentioned it, completely like changed the landscape of defense for not only not only the Grizzlies, but for that conference. I remember saying on one of the podcasts that I think Jaron Jackson is a swing player for the entire conference. That was before the whole John Morant thing. Um, and then it was coupled by the, the eye test of Brooke Lopez not being as spectacular. So then people are just gravitating towards someone like a Jaron Jackson Jr. With that being said, it did the market did swing back and forth in the spring. I think that's because so many people just you know, just pummeled and just bet on Jaron Jackson over and over and over. And the market was like, you know what? I think we have to give, we have to give these betters a little bit of a pump fake and show that Brooke Lopez is still part of the discussion when most of us kind of knew that he was not part of it anymore. And it was Jaron's I I think a lot of it also, this is a little bit of a tangent was maybe it was like insurance for injury. Like if Jaron Jackson, because he already missed so much of the beginning of the season, if he goes down in the last two to three weeks of the year, then it would swing back over to Brooks. So maybe there was some insurance with injuries as well. Uh, it's either, there's a couple of things here. I, I wonder if it was either that the odds makers were adjusting this because, based off of their priors where they were like, look, he's only going to play 63 games. You know, he's only projected to play 65 or whatever they thought he was going to play. 60 maybe. Um, he played 63. And guys don't typically win with that low of an amount, which isn't necessarily true. Rudy won with 56 in 2018. That wasn't even a shortened year, right? Um, Like Giannis won in in 2020. That was a shortened year with 63. Uh, The average is 72. So you don't need to play like 80 games, right? Um, You need to play, but you do need to – obviously, you got to clear the 65 this season for the requirement. But I do think that – I wonder, to me, the only thing I could really get get into is I think that there was some large influential better or betters Mm -hmm. that came in pretty heavy and moved this at a book that was influential and moved this market in that direction. And and every time that they would make Brooke a bigger plus number, they would come in and hit Brooke again. Um, Mm -hmm. Prayers up for that better. But... Which, you know, look, it could have gone the other way had Jaron gotten hurt or something and, and... um, we're going to talk a little bit later about about Jaron with Brandon and about the Team USA stuff, which I think is going to be have a little bit of a hangover. Um, For sure. So I'm concerned about, about that from that perspective. But it does kind of show you that there can be value on this late in the year. What I think is is kind of interesting is if you're asking me, like, well, what's the timing on betting DPOY? This is absolutely one where it, I think with Kawhi and with Rudy, there are these guys that just like establish themselves as like, oh, it's going to be him. Like very early, kind of like we've talked about with um, rookie of the year and six man of the year, that like some guys jump out early and they're so dominant, it sets the narrative and nobody can really catch. But if that doesn't happen, you can start playing multiple angles, I think, to build this a- across. And that really is how it's kind of been viewed because there have been years I think were really competitive. The one outlier year I will say is like, I think you got to throw out the Marcus Smart year. It was such a baffling, it was such a baffling vote. It, it was, was a very yeah. weird vote. It was a team award um, that year. Yeah. And like Robert Williams was probably like, was, was actually very high in the odds before his injury. And then it was like, Oh, well the Celtics are still number one. So Marcus smart, because there was a couple of influential um, media folks, not just Bill Simmons, actually Seth part now who my friend who I will never forgive for, for ruining my band on a bio tickets. Um, <laughs> so let's get into some of the value for this year. Uh, let me know where, where, where are you at 
with your best bets for defensive player of the year as we sit here in September? I'll have one golden rule when it comes to features in the NBA. Do not bet Anthony Davis. I think that is the number one rule that I can give anybody because he's just not going to play enough games. Maybe, maybe an outlier year happens and he ends up playing 65, 70, 75 games. It's not worth it. Um, I was uh, stung pretty bad after the bubble year when they won the championship. The year after, I was like, man, this is Anthony's Anthony Davis's year to really, you know, get into superstardom. I bet him MVP and he wasn't even part of the, the top five at the end of the year. So that's my number one rule. Don't touch Anthony Davis. I know it's very, very tempting because of his skill, because of his market, the uh, frequency of how much he's on TV, but just don't touch it. You spoke about him just briefly just now, but I do like Bam Adebayo. Um, I think Miami is, you, you talked about the parameters. I think he's 26 going into the season. Miami, you know, is going to be a top 10, potentially top five defense. And if they trade for Dame, they're going to be on prime time literally every single time. Uh, so I like uh, I like Bam Adebayo and I like Evan Mobley. Those two are the guys that I'm really targeting. Bam does not get the respect I think he deserves. Like I've said this pretty consistently that I think he's the best defender in the NBA. So here's what's interesting is he breaks he would break the mold of the, the prior year with where they're at percentile while wise in BPM because the Heat defense was just quite honestly not very good last season. But mm-hmm. I did look this up um, and the year before in 2022 when the Heat were the number one seed, and if you kind of project them to return to some of that for reasons I'll get to in a second, Bam was number one in the league. He was plus 2.9. He was yeah. uh, he, he was really great uh, that season. He was number one in the league, rather. He was number one for the Heat, but he was one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh in the league in 2022. And so I think that if Jimmy Butler is able to give more on defense because Dame's around and doesn't have to carry so much of the offense that allows the defense, I think to get return where they want to get to. It's a younger team. I have, I've kind of established a new rule. I'm not taking anything under nine to one before mm-hmm. the season starts. I only want to, keep Why that? because I want, I want numbers that are 10% implied or longer. And it's because there, to me, there isn't enough reason to think that these numbers will shorten so much that the value of seeing the games removes it. I don't think, especially in a case like DPOI, I would be very surprised if Bam shot to minus 200 by the time that we got to November 15th or the play-in tournament or the mid-season tournament rather. So I think there's time. So I only want these, these nine to one or, or longer kind of looks. That brings up a great question, Matt. Do the mid-season tournament games matter when it comes to these awards? That's a really good question. I hadn't thought about Albert. Um, man, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to it. I'm going to have to think on it. And I think we may actually just have to see it, right? Because if it's high yeah. profile, nationally televised, and both teams are trying really hard and they leave a memory, like if people are like, oh, I remember that, that tournament game in, mm-hmm. you know, then that really might actually leave a lasting mark like that might move the markets we're gonna man we're gonna have to cover this when we do the how to bet the in-season tournament episode that's a really great question we'll talk about that later that's awesome though so uh bam is 10 to 1 at bet mgm 
I will probably play him for a little bit because I just can't stop betting him and losing. I nothing I love more than losing money on Bam Adebayo, <laughs> defensive player of the year. Just I'm addicted to it. Sure. I can't get enough of it. The other plays that I do have uh, on my card, I made these bets over the summer, and I still think that they're worth looking at. I got Alex Caruso at seventy-five to one. Look at you with the Caruso yeah. ticket. I like it. Yeah, uh, number one last season in the metric that I care about the most, that DPM stat. He is the number one. If he did not have the reputation, I wouldn't care, but he does. If he played 67 games last season, so he would have qualified. Now, he only plays 24 minutes a game, so I'm going to need him to play a lot more minutes this season. That's why Brandon Anderson was not big on this uh, initially, is we got to get Caruso up to like 30 minutes a game. If they trade Zach Levine, I think there's a pathway to, to, to us getting there. The question's going to be... It, most people would, would be like, wait, 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 but the, the defense has to be great. Bulls were fifth in, de- in, in schedule-adjusted defensive rating last year. Mm. I, I get it's why I, I really I really push back at all the conversations about Billy Donovan, and I'm like, no, no, no. Billy Donovan got Nikola Vucevic, DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, and Kobe White to be key members of a team that was number five in defensive rating. Respect Billy Donovan. The problem is not there. Um if there are there's a major trade with Levine, there's this opens up a lot of value. Even if it doesn't, if Caruso just winds up playing more this season, man, do I like this. I just he is regarded in scouts I talk to talk about how he's probably the best perimeter defender. It's either him or OG or Drew Holiday. Um, the numbers are there, the metrics are there. He's got that dog in him. I love everything about this except the minutes. If we can get the minutes there, then I think this is uh, a fantastic bet. He absolutely, to me, qualifies and is worth taking a look at for Defensive Player of the Year, even though he's going to be age 30 this season. Um, the other one that I've got on my card already is I bet Nick Claxton, at, and he's currently 22 to 1 at bet MGM. I got him at a 30 over the summer in the market. Uh, Clax has been phenomenal for Brooklyn. If Brooklyn surprises this year, Clax is going to be a big part of why if they turn into like this, you know, really gritty amalgam team, he's got great perimeter defenders surrounding him. Not only does he have Dorian Finney Smith for now, but he's also got uh, (laughs) Dennis Smith Jr. Who, by the way, was second last year in DPM. He has really good perimeter defenders. Clax is one of the most switchable bigs in the league. Like if you told me, I need you to pick the most switchable bigs in the league. I would go bam and then Draymond and then Clax. Um, he was 97th percentile last season. He's 24, fits all the categories. Claxton's really good. He gets bodied by bigger guys, but I think if the numbers were to bear out and the Nets were to weigh a surprise, this is worth a look. Uh, again, I'm not as concerned about how many games you win. I'm concerned about how good your defense is, and I could definitely see Jacques Vaughn putting together a season with this surprising squad to put together a chance for uh, him to be in that conversation. The last one that I'll mention I got four best bets. So, bam, I'm with you on that one. Clax, Alex Caruso. The last one's going to be Herb Jones. And he's 50 to 1 right now at Bad MGM. And I love this bet. It's a wing. So, it, it breaks that idea of it being a big man award. But if we look last season, he's he fits the category of the guys that are in that range as far as the percentile of what they've been able to put together. Um, New Orleans finished the season last year. Very surprisingly, um, they actually finished sixth in a schedule-adjusted defensive rating. If they are surprising, 
the question with Herb is always about the minutes, right? Because of the offensive limitations. Herb has offensive ability. He just needs to refine it. If he just if he just adds a reliable corner three, then I could see him absolutely sailing to this award because everyone knows how good he is. Everyone knows how impactful he is. He doesn't have the foul problems of Jaron Jackson Jr. He doesn't have the injury problems of Anthony Davis. Uh, he was 98th percentile last year in DPM. To me, to me, Herb Jones at 50 to one is really good value for a team that was surprising everybody and was great defensively all year, even with their injuries. I do have one name that I think would be intriguing to talk about because I think you and I, the rest of the NBA following, kind of disrespects his defensive player award winning in in Boston, right? Because we both agree it's kind of a a team award there. But what if Marcus Smart, who is now in Memphis, there's no John Morant for the first 25 games, so they're going to play a little slower. His defensive numbers with Jaron Jackson behind him to protect them at the rim. What if Marcus Smarts affirms or consolidates that win a couple years ago with a, a great, you know, great performance this year with a second title, second uh, DPOY? I'm going to compare him to an unlikely person that's not necessarily of his caliber, but is should be more of a candidate for this, and it's Jared Allen. So mm-hmm. the reason I'm going to compare this is Jared Allen's defensive numbers and rebounds and blocks are better than Mobley's. But Mobley gets all the credit for all of the defensive stuff with Cleveland. Cleveland was number one defense last year. Like I was betting, we were talking about it. Like I was betting Jared Allen at 40 to one and was like, this is going to shorten. This has to shorten. He has to be in this conversation. Never got there. Never. No one talked about him. Right. You do have to suss out who is in the conversation for these things and understand that most voters are not going to do the work to come up with creative answers. Like there's a lot of, of group think in the awards in general, and we've done the research on that. DPOY, I think, is the worst because everyone shorthands it. They look at like who has been talked about, who has the stats. That's why blocks have been yeah. historically such a good indicator and kind of goes that way. With Smart, I think he'll suffer the same problem with Jaron Jackson Jr. And like that honestly is a pretty good – good instead of – of me thinking that we should look at smart, it makes me want to not bet Jackson all the more because yeah. those two guys are probably going to split a little bit, right? Is there's yeah. going to be like, well, yeah, but you have Marcus Smart on your team. Oh, yeah, well, you have Jaron Jackson Jr. protecting the rim. So much like it was with Steph and KD in terms of, of offense in 2017 with the MVP vote where neither of them really registered, same kind of deal here on the defensive side where I don't know that you're going to be able to determine – the where to apply credit between smart and Jackson. That's kind of how I read that. Yeah. I wonder when the last time we had a team with two, the previous two DPOI winners. That's pretty interesting. That is really interesting. We'll have to look that up. All right. That's got to do it for Albert win with us. I appreciate Albert coming on and talk DPOI. We're going to get Brandon Anderson's thoughts. We'll do that next. Albert. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Buckets is presented by BetMGM. Use bonus code ACTION when signing up to get up to $1,500 paid back in bonus bets if your first bet loses. For new users in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
All right, joining us now, I had to get him on because he's got a strong play for this. And anytime that our NBA futures analyst has a strong play on an award, we got to make sure that we get him on. Brandon Anderson has his rules for defensive player of the year. And as a result, the two players that he feels are best bets for him right now in preseason. Brandon, take it away. Yeah, so just bullet point through the rules here. Who do we want for defensive player of the year? Number one, this is a team award. This is not necessarily just individual. I need a team near the top defense since 2008. Every defensive player of the year has been top five defensive rating. All all but three have been top three. So immediately, I'm down to, for me, Memphis, Boston, Cleveland. That's my top three, Golden State, Philadelphia, Milwaukee. So narrowing the list quickly. Number two, reputation is key. Every defensive player of the year this century has received votes previously. Every one of them. 18 out of 21 have had at least one first place vote. And six of our last eight have finished top two previously. So you kind of have to earn your spot here before we crown you. That's how defense awards tend to work usually. All defense, similarly predictive. 13 out of our last 15 defensive player of the year made all defense the year before. We only get 10 guys on all defense. So immediately we narrow our list significantly there. 10 out of the 15 were first team the year before. Now we're down to five guys. So reputation you got to earn it and along with that no young guys Kawhi Leonard's the only guy this century to win defensive player of the year before his fifth season and he won finals MVP so I feel like that's before he won this that's a fair exception rule three big men only get out of here Marcus Smart massive exception five of our last 35 defensive player of the years were perimeter players I want a big men 86 percent there last one I want a repeat winner if I can find one Nine times we have had back-to-back winners for Defensive Player of the Year. And in the history of this award, 41 times we've had the award, 26 out of 41 went to the same 10 dudes. Once we decide you are a Defensive Player of the Year, we keep letting you be the Defensive Player of the Year. So, can I tell you, Matt Moore, my favorite two picks for the year, Defensive Player of the Year? You can. I'm going to throw some stuff at you after, but I want you to uh, hit me with it. What are the two best bets? Who's out? Evan Mobley, too young, no top twos. Bam Adebayo, no first teams before, no top twos. Joel Embiid, no first teams, hasn't made all defense the last couple of years. Rudy Gobert hasn't made, didn't make first team last year. And also, only one player, Matumbo, has ever won after switching teams and won again. So I have to nibble. I do this every year. I think this is a three years in a row on the podcast. Have to nibble on Draymond Green, twenty-two to one. That's my number four defense, and it's not quite top echelon. I think there's maybe not quite enough perimeter defense there to help him, but he is the defender of this generation. I think that there there could be a push if he's close. Shouldn't Draymond have more than one of these? He's a repeat winner. That's my, my long shot here. That's a half unit play, but multiple units on the favorite, Jaron Jackson Jr., six to one odds right now. He, to me is priced twice as long as he should be. I I could not make him any more than plus 300. Memphis is my number one team defense. Jaron Jackson won the award last year, and we know we give this award to -to back-to-backs when we can and to repeat players. Now Memphis adds Marcus Smart, so the defense is going to get better. And frankly, John Morant is out the first 25 games of the season, so the defense is going to get better. Like, John Morant not playing means the defense will be better. The numbers are there. That's what the numbers have said in recent years. Jaron Jackson, two years ago, 2.3 blocks, 7.4%. 
both led the league. Then he went up in both categories by a lot. Three blocks a game, almost 10% block percentage. That's a massive number. If you look back in the three-point era, 1,000-minute players with a 9.6% block or higher. That's what he was last year. Here's the entire list. Alonzo Mourning, Serge Ibaka, Mitchell Robinson, our guy Jim McIlvain, Hassan Whiteside, all one time each, and then hilariously, Manute Bull seven times because Manute Bull was real big in block shots. Blocks are the easiest way for us as voters and humans to see defense happening. I think Jaron Jackson is the best defender on the best defense and has the best defensive stat available to him in blocks. I think he is the clear leader, and I love him at plus 600 for defensive awards. You'll hear me say it on any sport, really. You want to bet on the favorite. We bet on favorites and reputation. Jaron Jackson, 6-1, to one, is my favorite awards bet of the preseason. You have made a compelling case, and I will probably put in a small bet on trip. Does the Team USA thing influence you at all? <laughs> Because I don't love the the Team USA thing. I I don't love it. I don't love that he... For those that that may not have watched FIBA, let me kind of set the stage here. The biggest thing, I think, is that the knock on Trip last year was he fouls too much. He didn't play as many minutes as AD, and he fouls too much. And then he got in foul trouble in almost every Team USA game. And the DPOI was on the floor when when Team USA was getting torched which I think hurt his reputation. I kind of think that that like it's a long way, right? We're talking, this is September all the way to April, but I am going to say that like, if he doesn't get the foul rate down, this bet's dead. I'll tell you that right now. He's better get better at at not draw and not picking up fouls because voters are going to look at that. The first thing that they do when they look at his case for DPOI is not going to be the block rate. They're going to look at the fouls. Yeah, it's a concern. It, it, we, as we record this, we are only a few hours after USA has been eliminated by Germany in, in the World Cup. So I literally, as I was preparing to record this, was like, do I still want to go on record with this pick? Because I'm not loving my guy, Jaren, right now. So right now, in September, it's a concern. I think that if this was the Olympics and it was a little bigger deal and it was prime time and everybody watched, I'd be more concerned It's the FIBA World Cup, and the game happened at 7 in the morning in the (laughs) Philippines, and April's a long ways away. So, like, I don't think it doesn't matter. I don't love that he fouled all the time. I especially don't love that he was really, really bad defensively as a rebounder. Yes, that is a defensive stat. You end a possession by rebounding. He's not good as a rebounder. So I don't love that, but to me, at the end of the day, he – so clearly just fits the, the profile of the top defense that I want, the top player on the team. And even to as a, it, it, for me, it's because, and I mentioned the guys I did, Mobley, Bam, Embiid. Again, I'm starting with my like six top defensive teams and I only have a few options now. I'm starting with my, who made all defense last year, who was first team. I only have a few options. And if I'm ruling a guy out because Evan Mobley is too young, because I don't have Bam Adebayo or the Heat in my top six defenses. If I'm ruling options out, I'm left with Jaron Jackson. I think to me, I'm not saying that he is one of the all-time great defenders and should be on the list of 10 dudes who have won multiple times, 
I just think he might be the best defender right now, and so he's the right bat. Yeah, and one thing I will say, the jaw thing, one of the reasons I actually think that that works against him, you could say that jaw not, ja not being on the floor makes the defense better. That's true. And voters have told me that one of the first things they look at, look at are the top defenses. You're absolutely right about this. Not just from a the numbers back this up historically. That's the process. Is like multiple. I asked multiple voters, "Where do you start?" And they said, "Well, I start looking at the top defenses and I go from there." So yeah. you, you better be up there in that consideration. It's not. I don't think it's like a hard rule that you got to be top whatever. It's definitely played out that way over time, as Brandon kind of pointed out. Um, but I do also think that with Jaw out, Jaron's going to have to pick up some of the slack offensively, which sure. means that he's going to have less uh, less energy on the defensive end. Um, that said, I think the case is pretty good. Um, before I yeah. let you go, I, I do want to let you know that um, Alex Caruso was first team all defense last year. He, in fact, was, which makes him eligible for this award, except that I have a rule about no uh, no perimeter guys, only big men. So, yeah, he, you know, he, he could be in the mix. So Alex Caruso in the mix. I do the Jaron Jackson thing that I like about John Morant is I like that that happens to start the year. I think that helps his case because if Memphis is still right there near the top of the league, like I think both you and I expect them to basically be because the core is so good, then people are going to have to notice, hey man, wow, no John Morant, and here's Jaron Jackson, Desmond Bain, like they're both really stepping up and playing well. Why is that? Oh, it's because the defense is number one by a couple points over everyone else. Yeah. Like, you know, with these awards, anchoring happens. And I think that, like, we already start with you're the defending leader in this award. And if immediately your defense stands out because that's the only thing making you win right now because the star scorer is gone. To me, I love the anchoring of that. And I think that someone else is going to have to come and take it from him. And I don't see someone good enough to take it from him right now. That's NBA Futures Analyst Brandon Anderson. You can follow him in the Action Network app and catch all of his future picks in there as well. Thanks for joining us. Hope you guys have yourselves a great week. We'll be back next week as we break down uh, Coach of the Year. And I believe we're moving on to Most Improved Player as well. We've got lots to talk about uh, as we continue to roll on with our How to Bet series. Thanks for joining us, everybody. So we see you again. Let's get buckets. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.